0: Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. We're reading from Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And him, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died.
1: Well, our reading this morning from Genesis just continues a story that we've been in. Uh, we, last week, we wrapped up the, the, the flood narrative, but uh, we get uh, just another snippet of Noah's story here that is admittedly bizarre, right? It doesn't exactly scream, you know, hap- happy Mother's Day as we've acknowledged. Although, on the one hand, I, I do want to suggest maybe this is just what always happens when moms leave town, right? Right? She's not, they're not present in the story and you know, dad gets drunk, the siblings fight, and father curses the children. Right? I, I, I don't know. Maybe it has more traction for this moment than we uh, care to admit. Um, but, but it is interesting to hear a story like this, so we're just going to spend a couple more weeks in this sort of front matter of the book of Genesis, sort of these foundational stories that give shape to everything else we experience in the gospel. And this one does as well, despite its awkwardness. Uh, I, I think I think it's kind of surprisingly strange, which I think is in itself a surprise. Given all the weird stuff we've already read in Genesis, right? We we've come out of the garden with the snake speaking to Adam and Eve. We've we've been through Cain and Abel. Uh, we've talked about the Nephilim and giants and a flood. I mean, there has been a lot. It's remarkable that we could read something else that would still sort of strike us as awkward, un- uncomfortably so. If you'll indulge me again, it's it's startlingly strange. I think, and it's strangeness but if I feel allow me another cultural reference uh, I don't admit it, and I this confession I'm not saying this is good or bad but when I hear this story I think about the 90s sort of sitcom uh, uh, you know cultural folks friends right and they had they had a neighbor that it was ugly naked guy right and uh, the awkwardness around sort of this friend group uh, shamefully sort of in, engaged in observing their neighbor. I, I think about that scene when I read uh, this passage, right? It's just, it's weird and awkward. Like what, what's going on here? Volumes have been written to sort of answer those questions. Scholarly volumes in the uh, recent history and in the history of the church attempts to kind of parse out the implications of this story that is admittedly sort of sparse with its details, particularly the kinds of details we crave when we read a story like this, right? We we get enough, I, I think with this particular passage, we get enough that it like, we feel some things when we read it, but we don't get sort of, all the things we want to know so that we're certain that our feelings are kind of in the right place. Does that make sense? You guys ever feel that way when you read scripture? I mean, questions like, as we hear the story, why, why curse Ham's kid and, and not Ham, the, 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 the one in the story who seems to have a, uh, committed some type of violation, cultural or something, and yet Noah in, in, in turn is like curses his children. Why, Or for that matter, why curse at all? Like, I know it was awkward, but we're not really told exactly why it was a curseable thing. Why is what Ham did all that, all that bad? Those are all questions. Maybe I'm the only one, but they float to the surface when I read a story like this and get past my sort of cultural references to things like Friends, okay? Eventually, I get to these kinds of... Of questions, And we're not going to answer them. I, I say that uh, frequently in Genesis. I'm not going to answer all these questions for you. But we will speak to some of them this morning. And, and I want to make just a couple of, um, I think, initial observations that need to be said about the passage that we've read this morning, uh, about how we are to take it. And, and the first one is, I, I just think we, I, I'm, maybe we're aware or not, but this is a passage that has been um, historically uh, abused to, to mistreat other people in the uh, life and history of biblical interpretation, right? Early in our own country's history, uh, this is a passage that is frequently pointed to to sort of justify the mistreatment when you read these curses between uh, that are given to Ham and then the blessing on, on Shem and, and Japheth. it's It has, I, I think, a sad and tragic history of being sort of misapplied and misunderstood to justify the exploitation and mistreatment of other peoples and I I don't know you heard it read this morning my hunch is like that's not what came to mind right like like I think we know we like of the things we feel we know that is probably not the thing it's meant to sort of we're, we're meant to feel that whatever it means here it it doesn't it doesn't mean that it's not a justification for those kinds of things. I just think we need to sort of admit that and say that. I, I also think we read it, a weird passage like this, and we can we can want to make it, um, I, I think it's sort of, it's a, I mean, I'll, I do it all the time. I want to make it kind of moralistic, right? I want to make it sort of manageable. So I, I read a story like this, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is about alcohol, right? That lets me skirt sort of all the awkwardness that happens after, And, uh, you know, don't get passed out drunk is the moral of this story, right? Like, that seems, there's probably some truth there, right? (laughs) Like, no doubt a, like, uh, a a, a helpful application. But again, I'm not sure it's like the fullest sense of all the things we're meant to feel in the passage. By the same token, I want to be like, well, maybe it's about parents, right? Don't dishonor them. Also, Laudable right? Certainly a move. We find each of these observations, I think, do find traction as we read the rest of the story. They are places you could land, unlike that first scenario as a justification for the mistreatment of others. This, at least, you know, is a place we could land, but I'm just not sure it's like the fullest sort of sense in which we hear a story like this. So what I want to ask you to do For those of you that have been around Park City, and maybe you haven't in recent weeks, but you're familiar with these stories, I want us to hear this story as Kristen has read it for us in the context of what we've already heard already in Genesis. Sort of ringing in our ears, right, kind of echoing in the background for us. I want us to hear this story with with the opening uh, sort of sagas that we've already lived through in Genesis, just kind of humming in the background. And I think when we do that, we notice some things. I I think, again, I don't want to press them too far, but but we read a story about Noah tending gardens, which sounds a lot like Adam in a garden. We read a story about eating and drinking, perhaps inappropriately, right? Like to to inappropriate sort of degrees, right? Uh, Those are scenes we recognize from earlier in the story. The story quickly turns to a saga of, of being naked and ashamed. And... Uh, that we 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 we've heard that bef- bef- before. We we hear of of a sort of covering over on behalf of others, a covering of that shame, and and that rings familiar. Like oh, we've we've heard echoes of this story before. And then you know the concluding scene of conflict among children. Sadly, we've also been there before. And I think when we hear it in this way, it doesn't answer all of our questions. But I do think it helps us to maybe hear and draw out some things that make it a little more, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, something we can pick up here now, today, in your own life of faith. So, so we move from like the ugly naked guy of friends uh, to, uh, to this scene with Noah, uh, a drunk naked guy. I wrestled over this sermon and how many times I was going to have to say the word naked. So I'm just going to put that awkwardness out there and uh, I feel better. You probably feel worse, but um, and someone did. I was wrestling again over what to say and it was observed to me. Nobody's going to hear anything else you say after you say naked. So I should just wrap it up. But here we go. I want us to reflect on uh, this this scene with Noah and some observations. I think one observation is shame seems to be a part of the story. It's hard to parse out exactly why. We're a little unclear, but the feeling we get when we read it, shame, shame certainly seems to be a part of the story. It's, it's, it's in that detail of, of needing to be covered and the reverence that uh, uh, the brothers show and that Ham uh, doesn't. Shame seems to be a part of the story, wrapped up in Noah's condition. In his tent, but also in Ham's apparent lack of respect, we, we're not quite sure, but in his sort of response, there's shame seems to be wrapped up. Uh, we're gonna run through this story. If you'll allow me another cultural reference, I haven't seen this show, but there's a new show lots of folks talk about on Netflix called Beef. And uh, it's it's a it's about an incident of road rage. Again, I've just read about it and watched some interviews, so I haven't seen it, but um, about an incident of road, r- of road rage that, uh, you know, people from sort of different spheres in life economically, different situations have this interaction in parking lot and then the unfolding sort of irrational pursuit of that conflict. And uh, I, I just bring it up to mention in an interview with Stephen Colbert on The Late Show, the lead actor, one of the lead actors, Stephen uh, Ewan, s- said in, in response to a question about, you know, because the show is getting kind of like, strong reactions, right, and uh, they're like, in response to a question about the audience's response to the show, uh, uh, the actor said, you know, I think it's just the show that invites people to see their cringe, was the phrase he used. He's like, people got to see their cringe. And we don't like to do that. So he said, to the degree that you're comfortable, like, seeing your cringe yourself reflected in the anger or whatever is reflected on the screen, he's like, I think it'll probably show us something. But to the degree that we're uncomfortable seeing our cringe, he's like, you know, you're probably not going to like it. And I think about that phrase when I read a story like this, this interaction between him and his father and his brothers. There's just the shame sort of all over the pages of it, and it feels like an invitation to sort of feel and see that cringe in a story like this, and, and see it in a way, as we'll see in a moment, that doesn't sort of view it as a cringe for someone else, but a story that we're a, a part of, right? It's an invitation to sort of think about the, 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 the shame issues and questions that the story raises, to see cringe but I I also think uh, on the one hand it's about shame but I also want to suggest that it's about family uh what were some of the sitcoms anybody what sitcoms did you guys say when you talk about family the Simpsons anyone no no one else right yeah uh you guys like I can't believe this pastor what other sort of ungodly references he gonna make I'm so sorry uh family ties anyone uh uh Reba say again Boy Meets World classic yeah Little House on the Prairie what Everybody loves Raymond. Nice, uh, awesome. You guys, this is a good range. Uh, I, I like it. I, I think it's not a sitcom, right? Because it doesn't resolve neatly. Uh, but I do think it's a there's a bit of shame running through the story. But it's there's also just if just taking what we read, we see this family is messy, right? Like if if nothing else, that as we as the story unfolds, a sort of messiness. Of, of this family, which I think is particularly sort of poignant because of when it happens. When we're pulled into this kind of experience, it's after the the flood. God has cleansed the earth. This is a fresh start. And right out of the gate, family is already messy and broken. I mean, ham, right? We, we don't know exactly. Lots has been written about sort of the nature. What did it mean for him to encounter his father in this way. But whatever is meant here, there's some suggestion that perhaps he's sort of throwing off his relationship. He's rejecting his relationship with his father. He's taking his father's cloak perhaps, right, physically, but also maybe metaphorically of of authority, his role, and he's taking it himself and usurping his older brothers to sort of plant himself as the one in charge. And some even think that when when he goes to his brothers, it says they take the cloak and drape it on their shoulders. They take it back, and they're going to take that same cloak and cover their father. What whatever again is in these details? You get the sense in which family is messy. I suppose of of all the folks in the story, the, the ones the, the ones worth you know that sort of come out looking the best are Shem and Japheth, the the respectable ones in the story are the older brothers who, it seems like these details seem interesting to us because we're not given sort of all the reasons, but I mean, we're told they look away, they back in, the, the detail with which we're told that they cover their father. You're like, what, what is going on here? But there's this sense in which they're covering over the messiness and the shame that uh, their family is experiencing, whereas Ham seemed to be at least like throwing it out in public. We were in St. Louis' last week and uh we were staying at a hotel not far from union station and we had been walking we were only there like one night so a couple of days we're walking around and we noticed like at first it didn't strike us but the longer we were there we're like man there are a lot of really muscular people i was like oh I, i feel right at home right like oh this is good this is what it's like right like uh uh, I mean, there there were, it was enough that we, like, come, we noticed, like, why why are there so many very strong men and women around here? Like, what, it, it was a bizarre, like, moment for us, and, we, you know, we're like, well, whatever, maybe St. Louis is really, you know, into CrossFit, I don't know. But um, we, 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 we were hanging out, you know, and eventually we noticed a, a sign in the lobby that there was, like, a bodybuilding conference the next day, right? <laughs> so there's a whole, like, thing, right? It was an event, like, oh, this explains... Right, this explains a lot, right? I, I, we were in that midst, you know, and I'm like, "Why? Well, who are all these people? Why are they here?" And I'm like, "These are clearly not my people, right? Like, I, I, I these are maybe a surprise to you, but these are clearly not my people." I, I think we read a story like this and we're like, <laughs> "Those are not my people, right? Those are, those are not my people." But, but reading it honestly, I think we're drawn into a different sort of confession. These are my people. Family is messy. Shame is often a part of, of the story. And whatever comes next in our experience of faith, these folks are in our story. That, that I think we, we want to be like, these are, these are not my people. But if we, if we step into that confession, these are my people. It is on our lips a kind of despondent, despairing confession. Post-flood, this is still us, right? This is the fresh start, a new garden, post-flood. This is still us. However we take the details in the story, I think we're meant to feel these two things pretty poignantly. But thankfully, it's not all we're meant to feel. I think there's a thread running this through this story of hope, of promise. I'll use the word faith. Right, that wrapped up in this story, we're drawn back into that earlier story, echoes of that first garden where God made a promise that through the generations of men and women, he would preserve and orchestrate and work in such a way that he would, he would raise up a descendant who would undo and cover over all the shame that those first uh, tragedies brought on. Right that since since Genesis 3 remember we've been reading this story cognizant of the fact that that that, that it's tracing a seed that was Cain and Abel and Cain went south and Abel died so then what? Well, then there was Seth and we read about Seth's line and then we get to Noah and and Noah's father says, maybe Noah will bring us relief from this work right God there's we're, we're a part of the story where God is tracing and preserving his faithfulness, his promise to raise up. A descendant, uh, one who would bring his children home, one who would take sons and daughters who want to throw off their relationship with their father and bring them home, uh, one who would, who, would, who would come into this world and who would make prodigals, who would cast off the family ties and would make them sons and daughters again. I think you, you hear the same phrase on the lips of God, and it's different these are my people, these are my people. On our lips, a despondent confession of our admitted broken, messy, often shame-filled lives, but on the lips of God, a word of promise and hope that he would make us his people. There are hints of that promise in the word that's given to Shem and Japheth, that, that, that God would bless Shem and then that Japheth, the other brother, would be brought into and under that blessing. There are hints of promises in the New Testament that the family tree would expand and, and grow. God would bring others in the New Testament word for that is Gentiles. And, and we see hints of it throughout the rest of the Old Testament. But, but here in this beginning, sort of nod that God would, God would draw people into his family. It's a hopeful faith-filled word of promise that in the midst of a people who continually refuse him, grasping out of our own assertiveness to sort of mark our own authority that God's faithfulness would create and preserve a people he would call his own. That he would make us his children. In the story that will follow from Noah, That in the midst of this mess, this messy family, Ham's rejection of Noah, and the consequences that will play out on the pages of the Old Testament, as we see their experience with the Canaanites, in the midst of all of that, God remains faithful to His promise. To say of His creation, "These are My people." As we sort of prepare to take communion, I'm going to ask you to indulge me one more time. I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. Much further to the end of the story. You can come on up. Uh, much further to the end of the story. We talked about uh, ugly naked guy. Uh, it was really just an excuse to say the words again. Random naked guy. But, uh, uh, sorry, uh, drunk naked guy. But I want to take you to uh, random naked guy much later in the story. It's in Mark's gospel. When, when he tells us the story of Jesus' crucifixion, they're in the garden, uh, another, gar- another garden. Right? Jesus is being arrested and everyone has run, they're running. And in Mark's telling of that moment, he says there was one present uh, who in his attempts to flee, they grasped at him, grabbed his cloak, kept the cloak, and he kept going naked, fleeing naked, random, random naked guy. Some, Some people think, this is just conjecture, that that unnamed person is Mark himself, the one who wrote the story that in his, in his telling of the biography of Jesus, he includes this really shame-filled moment of exposure, weakness, messiness. He's running away. He includes it here remarkably. That, that he, he, like all the other disciples, I mean, he's, he's essentially, right, this person is, is in the list of Peter denying Jesus, Judas betraying Jesus, this guy running away, leaving uh, Jesus behind. It's an interesting moment to pick up as we hear the story of Noah, as we think about the beginning with Adam and Eve. So many stories of people covering over shame. Here in this moment, this random guy running from Jesus, if it's Mark, running away from Jesus miraculously finds himself running right into his arms being received himself as a disciple despite his resistance his fear his need to run away it's it's as if we 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 sort of hear echoes of the story again that if we want if you want what Jesus has to offer it's impossible to come wearing the wrong thing right, the only way to come is to come wearing nothing, if we're honest, right, that you can bring your best clothes, doesn't get you any further, or you can come in filthy rags, doesn't change the nature of the relationship, because the, the gospel tells us that Jesus is the one who clothes us, he's the older brother who covers over our shame, who takes the messiness of our lives and our families, the brokenness, these are our people. And He looks at us and he says, yes, you are my people. You are my people. I have made you my own. In spite of the mess you have made, all the shameful ways you or I tend to blow it, God faithfully preserves his promise to raise up one who would look at you and me and through his work on the cross would swallow up shame and make true the promise. These are my
0: people. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at ParkCityKC.com or follow us on social media at Park City KC.